Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's your favorite single girl, Andrea Bain. Welcome to the Single Girl Problems Podcast, your one-stop shop for real relationship talk. On today's show, well, we're tackling some serious topics today, folks. Now, first up, the early childhood years are the most critical when it comes to developing our whole selves. We're going to discuss how sexual, physical, and mental abuse affect our adult relationships. Next up, I'm coming out. Well, I'm not coming out, but we're going to talk about why it's so challenging for people to come out as gay. And then, uh, you know, to wrap things up, because it's a very light show, as you can tell, um, every year more than 10 million men and women are subjected to domestic violence. And the question most people ask is, why don't they just leave? But it's way more complicated than that, and we're going to get into it. Before we get started, a quick reminder, listener discretion advised, during the show we will be discussing adult content. Things are going to get real on this episode, folks. So, pull up a seat, get your snacks, and strap in. My guest today is an Emmy Award-winning actor, a fierce advocate for the LGBTQ rights, and author of the new book, All We Knew but couldn't say. Please welcome Joanne Venicola. Um, did I say your last name properly? You did, Joanne I love Venicola. a good Italian last name, I can't <laughs> lie. So I was like, I can't wait to roll my, my tongue on that. How that are you? That was perfect. I'm really good. Thank you for having me on your show. Okay, no, first of all, no, I should be thanking you because um, your publicist is actually a friend of mine. He's like, I've got this woman, she's an actress, she's great, and whatever he has, I'm just like, sure, that's great. Yeah. So I got the book and I read the title, All We Knew But Couldn't Say. Sounds nice, so it could be about anything. The book looks really nice and simple. I go, okay, I'll just read this. It's a nice little read. And like first chapter, my eyes are coming out of my head and I'm like whoa like what is and then I really was like reading every part I'm like this could not be this person's life so the first thing I want to know is when you um went to sit down and write this book were you were you afraid like because you know you there's extended family it's one thing for me to read it because I'm I don't know you but it's when your family reads the book and your cousins and the uncles were you ever nervous about what they were going to say I was very scared many, many years ago when I started. In fact, I started the book as a novel um, years ago. Mm -hmm. And then I went through a program called the Desperate Dialogues Program in in Toronto. And everybody who had read it said, "Uh, this is a memoir. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It reads like a memoir. Mm. And I had an amazing mentor, David Layton, who's also an author. Mm -hmm. um, And he... He suggested, finally, he was the last one that said, Joe, this really should be a memoir. Mm. And I said, okay. So everybody has to kind of nudge you to kind of... Yeah, because I wasn't ready to write mm-hmm. a memoir. Yeah. I didn't I didn't feel safe at the time, I think, to write that me- this memoir. Mm-hmm. And then I decided, uh, okay, I'm old enough now. I think I've got it. I just have to accept the story that I'm telling because I'd have to speak to it at some point, mm-hmm. you know, potentially. It's interesting. You say you didn't feel safe. Yeah. Why didn't you feel safe? Or I, what safety did you need? I don't know if it was safe so much. Maybe that might be the wrong word. Mm-hmm. Maybe I felt that there would be a lot of rage. And, mm-hmm. I, and I didn't want to feel that after what felt like a hard journey to have more rage. Mm-hmm. And I think I was trying to save myself from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
when I decided I was strong enough uh, to to write this as a memoir, it was a, it took me a few months to make that decision. Mm-hmm. I felt free to do it, and I had to accept that no matter what, I have to be strong, and to remember why I'm writing this book because there was always a purpose, even as a mem- as a novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that it's a memoir, it's almost a larger purpose. Do you remember the feeling you had when you finally finished writing everything down? I was overjoyed because I felt like I did it. Mm-hmm. Because it had been years thinking, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't. And other people saying, you can't, you can't. And so when I did finish it, I just felt like I did it. I did yeah. it. I yeah. had a goal and I met it and I did it. Did you feel like there was a weight lifted off of you? Because, you know, when you've been through some really bad stuff, you go on with your life because that's just what you have to do. And you go to work and you go to dinner and you do stuff. It's still there and you don't realize it So until you confront it. And I think writing things down makes you confront the stuff that you've shoved down that you thought you forgot about. D- did it feel like a kind of a cathartic exercise to kind of just say it out loud and put it down on paper? Yeah, it was cathartic. But I think I've always written, though. It was a thing I would always do. I'd write notes. I'd write moments and memories. And I used to journal when I was quite young. And it was a way for me to take care of myself Mm. because there weren't any places for me to go. I didn't have escape or safety or family that I could go to at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I didn't have a place to be sheltered. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you grew up that way and you don't know what it is to to feel that, you're you're trying to find ways to stay in your skin and in your in your life and in your body and make sense of it. And writing was that way. Mm-hmm. And so when I was finally able to actually produce a memoir, yeah. I felt like I'd arrived in a sense, like I had I'd met my big hurdle and goal and dream and the things that I'd hoped to do culturally and as a woman and as a lesbian and a feminist and all of those things. Mm-hmm. I just felt like, okay, I've done this. This is good. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Now, I never like to be the person who spoils a good story, but I do want you to give the audience who's listening just a, like a taste of what your book's about and your journey during your childhood and what happened and what you put down on these wonderful pages. Sure. Well, I grew up in a an abusive home uh, mm-hmm. with uh, a mother and a father and, and three siblings, and I was the youngest. Uh, there was a lot of turmoil, grief, uh, violence, and I won't give everything away, mm-hmm. um, but it, it was a very difficult uh, childhood to navigate and mm-hmm. to feel uh, well, I didn't feel safe as a, as a kid, and I was very scared, so there was a lot of fear. But with that fear, I also, you know, discovered arts and, 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 and dancing and all this escapism that was outside of reality, mm-hmm. and that saved my hide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At the same time, it was really complex because a mother who was a stage mother, and she was a bit twisted, so it, it got really weird. Uh, for a lot of years. And by the time I left home, I, I was ready to leave. I was too young, mind you, but mm-hmm. I was, you know, 14 going on 15. So you left home at 14. Yeah. going. Yeah. I was a, I was a baby. Just, I just really. think my, my cousin's daughter is 14. Yeah. Her main concern is um, her soccer practice, mm-hmm. lip gloss, and getting a good mascara. <laughs> like that's, and those that are like is... her hardships. <laughs> and just to think of her, like I wouldn't put her on the subway by herself. Yeah. And to think that you were out there by yourself at at that age. You know, I think you don't think about it when you're that age Mm -hmm. that, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't, you know, how am I supposed to survive? You don't don't think of it that way. You just think, how do I get through today? 
and mm-hmm. uh, what do I need to do today? Mm-hmm. And there were times when I was hungry, and uh, you know, I did eventually develop an eating disorder. But prior to that, there were times when I was just hungry, and I did I didn't know where you're going to eat, what I was going to do, because uh, you know there was some money in the bank account, but I was also giving it away to you know I won't say who, but I was helping you know uh, someone, and um, I was young, I didn't know how to deal with anything, mm-hmm. so I would just like swipe things to eat sometimes. And, yeah. Of course. Little grocery stores, yeah. and I would eat a muffin, and, you know, I was just, it wasn't good. Yeah. No, no. Well, how could it be? Because you're a child out there fending for yourself. There are adults who can't fend for themselves. Right, exactly. Right? And you're a young woman, too, so there's, yeah. like, that vulnerability. Um, talk to me about the abuse, because that was what really took my breath away when I started reading this book that you and your siblings went through, because in a way I kind of, like... I tell my sister all the time, I'm so glad that mom had you because the idea of dealing with our parents and their nonsense by myself, I would just be like, and my parents were just normal nonsense, but I'm like, thank God I have someone to go and talk to and just kind of be there for me. Yeah. So what was it like for you guys? What did you discuss when things were going like kind of off in your house? Yeah. Well, I think what was really hard in our house is that I was like, five years younger than my than the next sibling up so there wasn't as much dialogue so Mm. much as there was uh, a shared sense of knowing Mm -hmm. and there wasn't a lot of talk but when you look in each other's eyes and you you feel each other's feelings Mm -hmm. and you know what you're experiencing and that the parents are in a bad mood or that somebody's going to get beaten and something horrible is going to happen you just there's a collective fusion that happens between siblings in those circumstances and Mm -hmm. uh, you know my eldest sister was the one who took the brunt of a lot of the physical violence because she was the brave one that mm. was like, you know, I did it kind of thing when mm. it may have been a collective thing of mm. doing something together. Do you think she was children. also trying to protect you? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I was probably her baby, right? Yeah. I was like nine years younger than my eldest sister. Yeah. So dialogue didn't happen so much as reaction to to people in positions of power being mm-hmm. parents who mm-hmm. were violent. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, some, some, some siblings don't know how to have a dialogue about these things and yeah. and some do like like yourself and, and your sibling which is thankful right yeah that's well, a, we're two chatty Cathy's that's so great it was like it was a lot of like looking you're right when things are going down you look at each other you give each other that face and then you find your private space and that's where you know you are safe to chit chat and go what is going on exactly. I don't know but I'm getting out of here where are you going take me with you like yes. those type of sibling conversations yeah um, you know what's also I was thinking about when you grow up in a household you as a child don't know you know that you are fearful of somebody. You know that you may like or dislike, but you don't know the difference between a stern parent and an abusive parent because this is the only world you know. And you're also taught not to go outside of your house and talk about all the things that happen inside your house. Mm-hmm. It's a weird kind of secret society of just like it things is. happen in my house, but I don't. I would never think to go out and tell anybody. Um, do you remember when you knew there was a like that things were not normal? This was not normal. This was not strict parenting. This was abusive. Yeah, I mean, I think I pushed the boundaries as a young girl because I saw a lot happening to my older siblings mm-hmm. and uh, I knew things that were happening to me, to my body mm-hmm. were not normal because I don't know how I knew it. I just understood. I think children know. We mm-hmm. know it's awful. It's terrible. This doesn't feel right. This shouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. And you carry this sort of uh, guilt and shame and and fear and you don't know what to do with that because mm-hmm. we don't we're not in a culture that encourages children to speak yeah 
Or to be believed when they or do speak. Or to be believed, exactly. And uh, we're terrified because we think that something horrible is going to I know there are a lot of children out there who just think they're going to be killed or go to prison, or if they speak, yeah. they're going to be homeless. Like, there's so many things that children just imagine or are told. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's a, it, when you're dealing with power, mm-hmm. it, it, whether you're whether you're black or whether you're gay or whether yeah. you're a child or whatever the situation is, when you're up against power, yeah. it's very hard to navigate power mm-hmm. and uh, when you're not safe. Yeah. Because what do you do? Yeah. Where do you go? Where do you go? Mm-hmm. And children are the are the are the most uh, vulnerable. Yeah. A- and animals, but we're talking about children. Yeah. The children are the most vulnerable, and and you know it's impossible to to know how to speak and how to how to get help unless. You're either removed from that situation or or somebody shows you the way. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, in the book, there's um, you talk about the time your sister who stood up and took a lot of the abuse. I probably to, I was thinking when I read that, I'm like, she was protecting you. Because oh, yeah. that's what I would have done. I would have done anything to make sure it wasn't happening to my little sister. Right. Um, and then one day, uh, your sister just disappeared from the house. Yeah. Talk to me about that time. Because I just that was like a time where I had to put the book down and take a breather. Yeah. I was like, oh. yeah. Okay. I know it's awful, really. Yeah. <laughs> Even thinking about it now, I'm like overwhelmed because I think of my poor sister, right? Yeah. And uh, also just as a family, yeah. like you just, this is your home and all yeah. of a sudden this is the people you know and you see every yeah. day and then all of a sudden your sister is abused and then did she tell someone at her school? Yeah. Okay. And, and then the child care services came in. Right. And then she was just disappeared. Now, what did your parents say? You, you guys, you know, it was so bizarre because my my mother at the time, she was the first person I saw when I realized that my sister wasn't home. Yeah, uh, it was almost like nonchalant, like, oh well, she's you know she's gone and that's the way it is kind oh, of thing. Sh- and it it was bizarre because I couldn't quite, I didn't understand her reaction at all, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think she was inside herself either. So. I was mortified and I was petrified because I'd lost a part of me yeah. when my sister was taken away because mm-hmm. I adored my big sister. I mean, she was a bit nuts. Sorry. Sorry, big sister. But Listen, I'm <laughs> a big sister and I'm a bit nuts, her. so it's yeah. all good. Also, you know, <laughs> I'm nuts too, so we're sort of in a good. nice collective it's nuttiness. Good. Nuts is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so she just had like, I just, that's the part I was just like, yeah. your daughter's gone. And, and I'm also interested... Why didn't child care service take all of you? Because well, if it's happening know. to one, you yeah. got to know it's happening to all of them. Yeah, I don't understand. You know, mm. I still don't understand the children's services. I think that, mm. you know, they're, they're not an effective uh, um, organization. I think they try really hard. But because yeah. I think the culture is so violent and so mm. non-caring in a lot of ways mm-hmm. around around children and youth and development and education and safety and protection, and there's so much violence mm. um, that I think they're over overwhelmed. But mm. in those days, uh, I'm not really sure why they thought that you know if they removed the the one that everything would be fine um it wasn't until 
a little bit later. I think part of the stipulation, I, I don't know if it would happen then or during the divorce mm-hmm. uh, of my parents, was that either he goes or all the children go. But that was after that episode happened with my sister being removed. So it didn't happen at the time, which was shocking. Yeah. And as a child, I didn't know that to think, like, why didn't you take me? Mm-hmm. Uh, although... I may have had that thought, but more it was, oh, my God, it felt like an amputation, like yeah. a part of me has disappeared yeah. and I don't have any say and, and I don't no know answers. where she is. Yeah. I can't talk to her. I can't see her. Nothing. Well, and you don't gone. know if you'll ever see her again. Co- correct. It was just awful. Yeah. You've seen her, obviously. Yes, I've seen her since. And yes. and what's her account of what happened? You know, I, I think uh, the book really opened up a door for my siblings and I. So mm. I think when she read this book, I was fearful that she'd be really angry. But she wasn't. I think, mm. in fact, uh, she felt vindicated, like okay. like part of her experience got to be exposed. And mm. I think she was grateful. So I was relieved, deeply yeah. relieved. Yeah. Uh, and she's okay. She's okay. Okay, good. Because the older sister in me was like, "Where is Sadie? <laughs> is she okay?" Because it was just a really, um, yeah. it was just a really hard story to read. About. It's a hard story. It's a hard story to read about, and I can't imagine that. Um, now, going through all of that, um, how did as a child you're seeing this all this violence? Your father's violent. Your mom's nonchalant about things. There's all these things going on. Your siblings, you guys don't really, you aren't really talking about it. Now, here's the, here's the big thing. How does this? Because we internalize all the, all of those things as children, mm-hmm. and then we play them all out as adults. Yeah. So, how do you think your childhood affected your adult life? I or think- did you recognize it? Yeah, or when did you recognize it was an issue? I think I always did, which was weird Mm. because, um, you know, I was a bit of a child advocate in a sense. Like Mm. I I remember the first international year of the child in 1978 Mm. and I was marching for children's rights. And so I started to get a sense of empowerment, but also at the same time I was being abused and in in an unhappy environment. So I think the the, the more I grew uh, into my adolescence mm-hmm. and uh, learned more, read more, had friends that were really outside the margins. Yeah. <laughs> thank good. No, but thank goodness for those friends. I did. Yeah. yeah. They weren't cookie cutter, you know, kind of families. Yeah. It just wasn't my life experience and nor were my friends. And so mm-hmm. we talked a lot. Good. And by the time I was a full-on blown teenager, I was like, yeah, this is nuts. And I'm (laughs) out of here and F you. And that's how it's going to (laughs) be. And you found your voice. Yeah, it helped. But then I sort of, uh, you know, took a a turn because Mm -hmm. all of that internal messaging and the negative um, stuff that I had been taught as a kid really backfired. And I really struggled and suffered deeply as a young woman mm-hmm. uh, with myself, mm-hmm. yeah, physically, emotionally, the well, whole Well, yeah, because you can't go through that kind of experience and yeah. then just, you know, even if you acknowledge it and then just walk through adult life, get into relationships and be like, I'm fine. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, and you know what? It's, it's one of those things where, you know, in my dating life, I've met a lot of great people and then, you know, things break down or they have a reaction to something. And of course, you just deal with it on the surface level. Yeah. And it wasn't until I started to go to therapy and reading a lot of books that I was like not only was I seeing things in myself I'm like oh that's why I do that oh that's where that comes from and then I started thinking about certain people and the way I reacted to their behavior and that was part of my trauma my childhood trauma but also I'm like that's also part of their childhood trauma that they're probably completely unaware that they have some kind of abandonment issue and they lash out when little things Mm -hmm. happen that you don't quite get Mm -hmm. and I approach my relationships differently as soon as I figured that out like okay instead of just saying oh that person's a complete dick right (laughs) what an asshole it's like that person has some unresolved stuff yeah that they probably aren't aware of 
And I'm just going to let them figure that out. I just can't be there for them to figure that out. Right. And I also don't want to come off as like some psychiatrist to them. Like, you know what your problem is? You know, Joanne, yeah. you know what I think you should do. <laughs> right? You don't want to be that person, yeah. but it's really yeah. eye-opening. So I was, I was really curious as to how this manifested itself into your adult life. Well, I just want to say good for you for, for getting there because I think that's a, hard, that's a hard thing to figure out for well, a lot of people, right? You know, and it's one of those things where I think even I, I agree with you. When I was a child, I knew even though I didn't know. You know, you don't yeah. you mean you know something's up. You know something's not right. And then you can't ignore that. Yeah. So as you get older, you're like, why don't I just finally explore? And I think if you fall down en- enough times in life, you're like, why do I keep falling down? Right. And why do I keep stumbling? Let me figure out what's really going on. Yeah. And that self-work, if you're not willing to do that, I really don't know what you're doing. Like you're just going through the motions. Yeah. I'm too old. And I guess I'm also older. Right. Right. I so maybe it. that's what it is. I don't know. But I was, I'm like, yeah, you got to figure out where all this stuff comes from if you really want to have that happy life. And everybody yeah. wants to have a happy life. Well, I yeah. I mean, I, I think happiness is a weird word, too, in and of itself, because I, yes. I think life is full. I think it's hard to be happy in, uh, in, uh, when you know, neo-Nazis are marching up a street or, <sighs> yeah. Y- yeah. you know, like, I mean, how, what is happiness, right? <laughs> like, how do we balance, like, horrible things happening in the world with our own uh, joy or yeah. our own grief? Yeah. No, that's a very good point, because... It's so funny that you say that because I woke up this morning. It's beautiful outside. I'm happy. I'm going to do a great interview with this person who wrote a great book. Hmm. Everything's good. You know, everything like everything's going well. And then I turn on the television and then there's a woman who is defending. Um, she killed a giraffe. Oh. Um, and she took a picture, you know, that kind of prideful picture of yes. like, oh, and she is. And then she had the audacity to go on live TV and defend her actions and call herself a conservationist. It's disgusting. And that she has I'm doing I'm doing the herd. We have to thin out the herd. That's what we I'm a con. And I'm just sitting there. And it was like all of a sudden all the happiness and the sunshine and the yeah. I'm just grateful to be alive. And I have this great stuff that I'm going to do today was just like whew, took a major dip of just like, oh, yeah. And then you're ex- you exist in the world. Yeah, it's all it's weird. It's, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Now they say that hurt people hurt people. Do you think that there's ever been a time that in any of your relationships that you hurt somebody, not intentionally? Oh yeah. But just because when you grew up in that kind of environment. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't physical or or sexual or anything like mm-hmm. that. I would never hurt anybody like that. Yeah. Um, but I think when you're scarred emotionally and you're still working your stuff out. Mm-hmm. It's hard to feel whole, full, present, all of those things sometimes. And I, I think I probably blocked off parts of myself that mm. were not accessible to my partners. Mm. Um, or I had weird behaviors, which I certainly did because of like food issues. And mm-hmm. like I was a lot. I'm a lot. I was a lot. I to, know because your, your mom talked about your weight when you were young. Oh person, my God, yes. Like... She's always like picking at my body or telling me something about how I should look or, you know. And, and where do you think that, because you said your mother was 350 pounds when you were. She was very big. So where do you think that was coming from with her? Do you think she was just afraid that you too would end up heavy like her? Yeah. It was just out of fear? I, or was it control? Like, what do you think that came from? I, I think all of those things. I think mm. like I was a, a reflection of herself or the self she wanted to be. Mm. I think she focused a lot of energy on me, her baby, her mm. last born. Yeah. And she sort of ignored the other girls. My, my brother was okay. He seemed to, you know, get out. Yeah, that was hard to watch. That was hard to read as well. Yeah. I said watch because I feel like this yeah. is a movie in the making. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> like, it feels that way, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like it was hard to hear all this abuse happening to three sisters, but then there's a brother who yeah. seems to just 
But he's not, though. I mean, when yeah. you think about being a boy growing up in an environment like that, you, you see your sisters being, you know, beaten and you're glorified. They're not. They're second-class citizens in your own home because you have this ideology within the home. So, so he learned all those bad lessons, mm-hmm. but he's unlearned a lot of those, and he's a really lovely guy. Okay. Yeah. No, no, I'm not picking up. Sure no, no, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying that about yeah. him because I feel like some some— it's a really hard thing to be uh, a man in this culture mm-hmm. that's so steeped in misogyny mm-hmm. and sexism and find your way out of that yeah. uh, like it is for many other things. And yeah. like you've got to do the work, right? Yeah. So like he's doing the work and I'm, 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 I'm grateful for that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. So you have a good relationship with all of your siblings today. Uh, pretty much. I mean, we, we have a lot of, uh, we have like dif- differences for sure. Mm-hmm. And we... Uh, sometimes don't talk and um, you know it's been hard but I mean at the bottom of all that at the root of all that I think is a deep love that never changes even when you're in a bad mood or you're angry or you Mm -hmm. don't talk even for years right like there's there's a lot of brokenness that occurred in in our family Um, but there's still love and I think that's the um, the flip side to this is Mm -hmm. that you know love is really the most important piece and even in grief and in distance mm-hmm. you know that that's the energy and the feeling that you'll still always have for one another yeah, yeah. that's fantastic all right so i want to um go, go on to our next topic now it's i'm so proud as a canadian to say this that because in 2005 canada legalized same-sex marriage mm-hmm. um now according to the census that actually the following year of uh, same-sex marriages tripled Right. Which was like, well, we should have done this a long time ago. Yeah. That's all in my mind. It's yeah. like, we could have done this a long time ago. But we, you know what? We're doing it because mm-hmm. I travel around the world and you take for granted how wonderful and how free your country is until you go to the other places where it's like, yeah. there's no way they would allow this. They're no. still so far back behind us. Yes. Um, and it's wonderful for the LGBTQ community to have that. But at the same time, it's, I find it's really, it's really hard to digest because we're still also seeing so much abuse. Yeah. Um, like, just recently, two young women who were holding hands on a bus going home were physically abused and beaten, bloodied yeah. um, by a, a group of four men because they were lesbians. Right. And that's still happening now. So it's like, it's such a bizarre, I don't know, for me, it's a really bizarre place for us to be in because it feels like we've taken some great steps. Everybody likes Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> right? But it's like, but we're still having. People will watch her, but at the same time, I really feel like, yeah, you like Ellen, but then you don't want your daughter to be gay. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, she was fired for coming out on TV. I mean, she lost her show when she did that big moment, I'm gay. I mean, I her show was over. Uh, and miss, mm, she's a, she's she's in the, the you know, the, the uh, a safe space. I mean, yes. she does really well. She's yeah. a very popular and, you know, successful but, person. But it's one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a crime in over 70 countries to be gay. Yeah. It's punishable by death in eight countries to be gay. Um, here we can get married, but, you know, Bruce MacArthur will serial kill a bunch of us from the village, and that won't be taken seriously. You police. walk down the street in the middle of the night looking like me, mm-hmm. and I'll be called dyke, uh, you know, uh, in, in a rage, in a fit of rage. Or, you know, I'll have to run sometimes because I can see what's coming at me. And this is here. This is Toronto. This, this is, is our safe city. This is now. It's yeah. not safe. Yeah. It's not safe at all. Um, gosh, um, I want to go back to when you actually uh, knew that you were you're attracted to women. <laughs> Talk about that moment, because I think your teen years is just that's like what I feel like when the flower really opens. Yeah. Even if you're not ready to deal with all the stuff that's in the flower, you're like, OK, all of a sudden you have those feelings. Um, right. Talk to me about the beginning and when yeah. you just when you knew. 
Well, you know, it's interesting. What's not in the book is there's a, it's okay to say, I guess. Yeah. There's a piece that I ended up leaving out of the book because it was too much going on, um, where I'm... Well, now we want to hear about Yeah, well, I'm about 12, <laughs> but 12, I run away. I, gra- I, 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 I hop on a Greyhound bus from Montreal to Toronto in my little uh, overalls with my waxy perfume and ponytail in my hair, pigtails, oh my like a little girl. Yeah. And I arrive in Toronto. I know there's a lesbian by the name of Jane, mm-hmm. who's actually Jane Farrow, who's quite well known in the city. Yeah. But, at, you know, at the time, like, I mean, she was just Jane. I was just a kid. And I'd met her because of the theater troupe I was in. Yeah. And I didn't know where Jane lived, but I knew she lived across from a Kentucky Fried Chicken. So oh. I walked the streets. <laughs> My goodness. <Yeah. laughs> okay. I walked the streets for six hours. Looking, looking for KFC. Looking for what I thought was, in my memory, the place that she lived. And I finally found it at, like, 12 or 1 in the morning screaming Jane and here came, came lesbian Jane over the rooftop who's that what are you doing here because there's this kid arrived 12 years old yes but where did I go I went to this you know lesbian in another city right mm-hmm. and so I it kept it recessed in my brain that's because I, I stayed with Jane I talked about being gay I looked at her life mm-hmm. and then I hopped back on the bus five days later to deal with my reality mm-hmm. but I didn't really come out until I was about 16 or 17 I suppose I mean mm-hmm. there was a lot of you know, uncertainty until I knew I was definitely a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when that happened, I felt totally okay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet I knew the culture wasn't. So it was a weird mm. um, dichotomy or uh, odd place to be in. Because, Almost like you have to have two lives because now you know who you are, yeah. but then you can't be that person Correct. in certain spaces. You got to know where to be yeah. gay jo- uh, Joanne and... Right. I guess, heterosexual demand to other right. people. And I think if you're an actor, you were, you know, at that time being in the industry, and I'm sure a lot of actors are still closeted today because mm-hmm. they're afraid to come out, though careers will be slaughtered. Yeah, let's talk about the fear. Um, why is there so much fear? I think it's, oh, it's there's so much fear. There, mm-hmm. There's fear on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. I think on the personal level, there's mm-hmm. fear for a lot of people that they're going to lose their family, mm-hmm. uh, that they'll, they won't be loved anymore. Uh, and that Which fear is a reality. Is a reality. Mm-hmm. And especially for the kids, right, that come out and the mm-hmm. transgender children. And yeah. I mean, it's a horrible truth that mm-hmm. children get tossed out of their homes. Without even a second thought. Without a thought. And then just, you know, oh, my God, those babies, right? Mm-hmm. And and then there are people who are, you know, in industries where it's, it's sometimes it's still not okay to be queer or, or, or to be trans or, mm-hmm. or to look like me and, and be non-binary. And, mm-hmm. you know, you do lose employment. You lose a lot of opportunity. And, you know, it's still a, a heterosexual, white, uh, straight man's game. Mm-hmm. And they, they have a lot of power and control. And that's hard to uh, to change, but I think with the rise of the Me Too movement mm-hmm. and feminism and activism and everything that we're trying to do in terms of queer rights and you know, anti-racism and mm-hmm. all of that collectively must keep happening yeah. to make everybody safer. And I feel the backlash is huge. <laughs> yeah, no, the back. I feel like there is change. Uh, personally, I think the change is still moving like molasses. Uh, yeah. It's still a little bit slow. There's still in certain spaces. I'm like, why are we still? Like, I don't know why when I watch a movie, there's every character. It's like we don't like the person should just be that because they are. And yeah. we don't discuss it. You just right. see them in a wheelchair. Right. Or you just know that they when they say their partner, it's like, OK, that character's gay. But it's not about them being gay. It's just they're part of that. They just environment. are. Yeah. They just are. And yeah. I still am surprised and really disappointed yeah. um, a lot of times yeah. when we're still str- like we still like they'll put a 
a person of color and they're like, look, there's a person of color there. <laughs> what are you complaining Sorry. about? It's no, but you know what it is. It's, it's like totally. it's the, it, same the stuff. entire cast is yeah. white and heterosexual. Yeah. And it's like, what are you One talking about? Person. We put a black Tiffany Haddish is there. Yeah, what are you complaining right. about? And it's like, I know. You're I know. telling me that the person who walked down the street couldn't have been a person of color, the person who in that yeah. role couldn't have been a person in a wheelchair, a person that couldn't person could have an accent. Yeah. Like yeah. you still gotta kinda yeah. we're still looking at things through a very straight narrow, white lens. Narrow. Very lens. narrow. So it's frustrating. And so. I feel like those of us who are artists need to really think that through like deeply on mm-hmm. all levels about being queer, about people of color, about being women. Able-bodied everybody. All of it. And yeah. we need to be more proactive about the things that we create mm-hmm. and, and really unlearn a lot of bad stuff yeah. and and be an ally to each other. Mm-hmm. And we do that through our work as well, right? So yeah. I feel like we all have to do that if we want the world to get better and change mm-hmm. and want reflection of ourselves too. No, I know you're an advocate for the LGBTQ community. What do you tell young people who are struggling with coming out to their parents or their families or coworkers or whoever is in their world? It's a hard one, right? Because, mm-hmm. you, you, I mean, young people need to feel like they have a safe space. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more more important for them to know that no matter what, they have a place to come, even if mm-hmm. their 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 family that's key does not love them anymore, which yeah. happens. Yeah. Or if they get tossed out, or if they're misunderstood, and and let them know about things like P flag and community centers and you know youth lines and, and actually just be present. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they need you, you let them call on you. Um, you know, I I feel like. We have to do that because the youth suicide rate for LGBTQ youth is super high. high. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a lot of homeless queer youth. Mm-hmm. And it's it's unthinkable. It's just a horrible reality. And I, we have to change that. And I think by telling these stories, writing these stories, speaking out like this in podcasts and interviews and books and movies and art, all of it. It yeah, all matters. Helps. It all helps. It all helps. It all opens everybody's eyes. It's so true. I, I've seen so many, especially Netflix has been taking some really yeah. great chances in telling stories. Um, and because they have such a wide audience, you see movement afterwards. You Absolutely. see people really pay attention. So you're right. I hope to, hopefully we'll see more of that. Um, do you remember who you told first when you came, when you... Do you remember when you said to somebody out loud, Gosh. I'm a lesbian? Do I you think it was one of my sisters, really. Okay. Um, and, and did they kind of know already? Yeah. Because I, I had a friend come out knew. to me and I was like, next thing you tell me I'm black. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. 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 And, yeah. That happened a lot with me because when I was a teenager in the theater, I had this you know, troop of people I used to hang with. Yeah. Um, they kind of knew and I kind of just ignored, uh, yeah. y- you know, and I hung out with all these gay people, too. So it wasn't like. <laughs> it was like, oh, no, Joanne, are you. <gasps> you, not you, Joanne. Joanne, you gay? I was no. like, yeah, okay, yeah. yes, I But right. you told your sister. I told my sister. And what was her reaction? She was cool. She was like, yeah, good, great. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> Pass the, you know. The, what you got? Yeah, nothing you, else. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, and that's a great, you know what, we laugh about that, but that's really nice that the first person you told had a very positive yeah. reaction and a kind of nonchalant like, okay. And the sky is blue. Yeah. And we're going to school or this is that. Yeah. And that's really nice because. Well, and one of my friends, too, who mm-hmm. was just coming out and, and, and told me and I told her, too. Yes, I am, too. And then we sat at opposite sides of a bench, just not sure how to deal with it. What? <laughs> it was so weird. So right? you came up to each other <laughs> yeah. and then you just sat there yeah. and you didn't say anything. 
Yeah. <laughs> you didn't like high five and be like, oh, well, thank no, God. Because I think there was this like one of us had a crush on the other and it was like, how do we deal with that? And there was sort of like youthful awkwardness at the same time. Oh my so. gosh. See, now in my mind that would have played out differently. I would have been like, let's hop <laughs> on each other. Let's, let's, let's do something. I've been waiting let's for everyone to come out <laughs> and now I have a buddy and you, oh, oh yeah. we're doing this right here on this bench. <laughs> Um, yeah. But no, that's nice. I'm glad that you had. I'm glad that you had that um, yeah. that experience. Um, okay, so I want to actually move on to something else because sure. I'm glad that you told me that story. It's also wonderful. And you're right. Um, speaking out and, and knowing that whoever is struggling with telling their family that they have somewhere to go to, someone yeah. to talk to, which is important. Um, but I want to talk about uh, the fact that nearly 20 people per minute mm-hmm. are physically abused by an intimate partner, and 85% of those people are women. Mm-hmm. Now, in your book, you go into great detail about the physical abusive relationship um, between your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, did your dad, I know your dad abused you guys physically. Oh, yeah. Did he abuse, did you see him abuse your mother? I did on a couple of occasions. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I would see, it wasn't like he did with us. With us, it was full-on beatings, and it was just, we were like rag dolls, right? And I know, you're so, so small, I'm like... Uh, I was, was like that? a rag doll compared to this big guy. Right? He was a hulking, huge guy, muscular, labor kind of dude. Yeah. And it just, it was awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With my mother, though, I think um, there was a lot of tension. Mm. And there were times when he did smack her in the face. It would just like whack her in the face. Mm. And it was just awful, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. it just, it was definitely physical violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not downgrading that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, ju- I'm just that there were there were definite differences between his children yeah. and his relationship with his wife. Okay. But she was also, you know, controlled by him in certain ways. And mm-hmm. yet, in other ways, she was controlling him. So they had this really dysfunctional horrid relationship they never should have been together yeah. ever mm-hmm. it was just an accident because they no they made they a had, baby you know so really really weird and i know it's because i know there's a lot of abuse but it's like without them getting together you're not here true true you look at it that way without them getting together as yeah. dysfunctional as it was yeah. then we don't have joanne sure and joanne's not an advocate and joanne's not a great actress and joanne doesn't she's not here yeah. so you can't you gotta look i just look at it that yeah. way it's like it was bad yeah. but without that we don't have you you don't have your siblings yeah thank you for that but it was a lot of hard years though i mean i mm-hmm. i tried i there was a lot of depression a lot of uh, horrible times that i nearly died really just throughout the, the course of my life and mm-hmm. it it took a, a mammoth effort for me to take care of myself and learn to care about myself and mm-hmm. be present and and then try to make a difference in the world. And mm-hmm. I think those two things uh, were really almost side by side. It's like I needed to be an ad- advocate and an activist to kind of be okay in my own life. Yeah. Because without that, I was alone. And I couldn't live alone mm-hmm. emotionally. And I needed to know that there were places in the world, that there was community, that there was, even if things weren't safe or right in the world in yeah. terms of being queer or female, yeah that we could be together and we could fight this together. Yeah. And that mattered just as much as individual therapy, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the, the political is personal and the personal is political. Yeah. The two were side by side for me, and I'm so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Now, your mom uh, actually left your dad. Yes. She attempted to leave a couple times. Yes. But she always took him back. Yes. What was it like? Like, I'm sure that there's a high when it's like, oh, we're leaving. Yeah. What was it like when you would see him come back? Oh, 
hell. <laughs> hell. I was like, good, the devil's gone. And then, yeah. man, the devil's back. Yeah. And that was a that was horrible because you just start to get, you know, comfortable with this new freedom. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe life is going to be okay when you're a kid. And then yeah. that devil comes back and it's like, the oh, cloud. gosh, the, the, cloud is back. the fear is back. The, mm-hmm. the trembling in your body is back. The, the uncertainty of, you know, whether or not you're going to get hit or if there's going to be screaming or yeah. All of those things, it all just comes back like a horrible wave, and you don't know how long that wave is going to be. Do you know how he ended up coming back? Did your would your mom? Do you know if your mom reached out to him, or how would he always find you? I guys? don't know how he found us that first time. To be honest, mm. I think he did a little digging. It was only a f- three to four weeks that I think we lived without him. It felt That's longer, it. but it but it wasn't. Mm. He just found us. I, I just don't even know the answer to that question. But he found us. Yeah. Um. And your mom never discussed the abuse with you nope. guys. Never said a word. Did you nope. ever see her crying in front of you guys? Mm, she did. A, she did a couple of times, but I, I think for her too. I mean, she did have to raise a few kids on her own, and mm-hmm. you know whether she was abusive or not, she still had to pay for us. She still had to feed us, clothe mm-hmm. us. Uh, you, you know, and she was living in a time where being female, and you just didn't have a lot of options. You, you could barely get a job, let mm-hmm. alone take care of children. I mean. To, you, you couldn't divorce until the 70s in That's Quebec. True. Yeah. So we were already alive. Yeah. So what are you going to do? She had no choice. Yeah. And there were times when there was no choice. But then when there was a choice, she made bad choices. Yeah. Well, she's in a, well, yeah. it's an abusive relationship. Well, you know, and the funny thing is people always say, people who've never been in, you know, when people haven't experienced stuff, they're quick to say stuff that, sure. they, that make them sound ignorant. Why don't you just leave? Like, yes. why would you stay? Right. You could have gone, you have a sister, and they just say things, and it's like, and you don't know what it's like, the mental abuse. Yeah. Why do you think your mom stayed or didn't have the strength to release, uh, leave and stay gone? Well, I think some of it really was financial. Mm-hmm. I mean, when mm-hmm. you have children to feed and, and four of you. you have nowhere to go, nowhere to live, mm-hmm. you don't have a job. What do you do? And I don't think the culture really properly thinks that through. It's easy, easy to make judgments about a mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do that all the time. You mm-hmm. know, yes, they should they should get pregnant. Yes, they should raise that baby. Okay, whatever. You can have that opinion. But what are you going to do about that baby once it's here? Yeah. Who's going to take care of that baby yeah. for the first 18, 20 years of its life? Who's mm-hmm. going to feed it and, mm-hmm. and educate it and love it and nurture it? Mm-hmm. So you want to force women to have babies. Okay, but what are you going to do for those first 20 years of that baby's life? That's my question to the culture. Well, can we have that discussion? We can have because any the, discussion. Because <laughs> yeah. we're starting to see it. We're seeing it in the United States where they're um, banning abortion and they want right. to start putting women in jail for having abortions. Ridiculous. Which is absolutely... Uh, and it's. I don't think people in Canada should get too comfortable because nope. they are slowly trying to have the same thing happen here. Yes, they are. Um, and I, I, we're on the same side of things where I've never had an abortion, but I want every woman who out there to have the right to have a safe abortion. Yes, correct. Because we all know, and this is a part that I find very frustrating, because often when there's a room full of people talking about women not sh- women shouldn't have abortion, it's a bunch of men who can't get pregnant. And I'm like, mm-hmm. of course. But if men could get pregnant, you could probably get an abortion at every street corner. Correct. Um, but it's about, uh, for me, it's it's I find it really weird, this attack on women mm-hmm. that's going on. What's your take on What's happening and how all of a sudden we are women are, you know, kind of being taken back like 50 years, 60 years ago. I feel with like, rights to their bodies. I feel like in some ways, you know, that mentality has always been around. But I feel like the people in, in positions of power now are the ones that are trying to roll back the clock. Uh, you know, they're treating us like we're just incubators. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not 
what women are. And they're also not dealing with the realities of why women get abortions. You think they just do them just for, like, incest, rape. There's all of these situations. It's like, do the research. And also, when it's not legal, do you know what happens to women? Because they're still going to get abortions. Right, exactly. They're going to get back alley abortions like they did, you know, prior to it being legal. And they found so many women dead. That's right. And it's just so weird that, you know, history is going to repeat itself. Yeah, it is. It's 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 mind blowing and it's horrific. And then it's enraging, actually, because mm-hmm. I think, my goodness, what have all the protests and years of activism and, and human Wade, rights and things, yeah. legislation and all of these for you to all just turn it back now? Yeah. But I feel like, honestly, the American it's, you know, uh, lead mm-hmm. uh, has has shifted and, and infiltrated, actually, the sort of political desire to bring that back by mostly white straight men. Yes. Uh, it's and a room full of white straight men who are making White straight men decisions. everywhere. And yeah. they're trying to make that happen here in Canada, too. And I and I, and, and enrages, mm-hmm. I won't even say what I'm thinking because it'll be very, very bad. Oh, <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm thinking and I maybe you'll make you feel like, comfortable. I want to hurt those yeah. guys. Like, or, I really do. I want to give them all a vasectomy, too, uh, because thank you. thinking, you know what? Let's just do that because yeah. it's going to be a lot easier to do that why don't you lay off us? Why don't you guys do yeah. something if you're so concerned? Right. Go, you, go oh, snip it. You dare, you dare not do that. Right. Um, you know what, what goes through my mind? You're very nice. Um, yeah, what goes yeah. through my <laughs> mind when I see the, yeah. you know, when I watch the news and I see the people who are making these decisions, the first thing I think is, how many of you have asked your mistress to have an abortion? Correct. Exactly. I was going to say the how exact same thing. How many of you? I bet you every single one of you sons of bitches That's right. have ha- told a woman, not asked, go. told a woman to get rid of it. That's correct. Because That's you correct. don't want it to ruin your family yeah. Or you were just interested in her as a sexual conquest. You don't definitely exactly. don't want to have a child with her. And now here you are sitting in this room and you want us to believe that you've never paid for or asked a woman to have an abortion. Not buying that for a second. Um, I, I don't like to ask too much when I are given books because I love books. Um, and I'm just like, well, let me just start and see. And, you know, sometimes you just judge a book by its cover. You're like, oh, nice title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cover seems really nice. But from page one, I'm telling you people, this book, you have to read it. It is incredible. Um, the fact that you survived this childhood um, is unbel- it gives me chills because being a kid is hard. And if you, you know, most times in a lot of households, you'll have one not so great parent, but then there's a rescue because you have another good parent. But what happens when both parents are highly dysfunctional? You're kind of you're trapped. Right. Um, and the fact that you're sitting across from me and r- you've written this wonderful book is like a testament to how strong you are, because I don't know if everybody would have survived this. Yeah, thank you. So um, please read this book. It is fantastic. You can't put it down. I hope they turn it into a movie. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Did they turn it into a movie? Who do you want to play you? Oh, wow. I don't know. I have to think that one through because I do age up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. I don't know. I was like, I do age up, love. Do um, age up. But Listen, yeah, thank you. I just feel like this this is a movie because yeah. that's why I, at one point I kind of slipped up because I'm like when I was reading right. it because sometimes I do that when I read a book I'm kind of go mm, this needs to be on the big screen like I can see myself watching this mm-hmm. I can already see the trailer for this movie that I'm like oh it's going to be dark but I got to watch it well I think because I'm an actor uh, you know I'm used to dialogue as well too and I'm used to visuals and so I think the way I write it may not be screenplay-ish but I think in those terms so yeah. I had to really learn how to write a book <laughs> because I, I'm so used to the other right so anybody's listening please 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 turn this into a movie yeah. even though I already know how it ends please <laughs> thank, thank you thank you I, I really want but before we go I know we've been talking a lot of, about a lot of heavy stuff so I wanted yeah. to play a fun game with oh, you here we go called Mary fuck kill 
Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Close your ears, family people, if you're listening. Ah, they already got the warning in <laughs> the beginning of the show. I let you know already, folks. Right, it's right, adult right. content. Um, okay, so I'm going to name three celebrities, and you tell me which one you would marry, which one you'll fuck, and which one you would kill. Okay. So I'm going to give you Jennifer Lopez, Oprah Winfrey, Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, well, I'll start with Oprah. Okay. I'll just marry Oprah. Okay. Yeah, because it's good conversation. I love her. Her garden. She actually was one of those people. Her talk show when I was a kid, I used to love watching that. It really helped. So yeah. she probably knows that. I'm sure she's mama to yeah. millions and millions of people. Yeah, she mentioned that in an interview. She Aww. goes like, because she raised a lot of people. Because yeah. if your parents didn't get home until later, you yeah. sat down and watched Oprah. You watch Oprah. She was your mom. Yeah. She was my she, mom. She's, she's one of my moms. Yeah. 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 Grateful. So great. Grateful. So I would marry her for okay. sure. Jennifer Lopez. Um, <laughs> what are we doing with J-Lo? <laughs> Jay, listen, I would marry you too, but if I couldn't marry you, then maybe if I had a, a little fun. A good one night stand. <laughs> yeah, you know, yes. Happy what you got to tell yes, people. Yeah, you gotta, yeah, so you, you wouldn't gotta, believe yeah. who I had last night. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say that. You know, I wouldn't do that. Well, I would be like, well, I would be. I wouldn't do that. J-Lo, I wouldn't do that to you. You're a lady. I'm an animal. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, you're never going to believe what happened I wouldn't do that to you, J-Lo. But, but, (laughs) yes. And uh, Rosie, I wouldn't kill her. I wouldn't kill any of them, actually. I quite love them all. I know. It's a harsh game. I, I, I could marry. I could marry Rosie. Yeah. Okay. Or, or be good friends. Is there a good friend option? <laughs> Joanne, you're too nice for this damn game. I don't is think I'm good for this game. I'm not good for this game. No, there's no This game is not good for me. I'm not good. You've got to kill somebody. No, I'm not killing anyone. Can't do it. Would you Sorry. kill J- J-Lo after the sex? No. <sighs> I wouldn't kill them. Okay. I like I those women. You're a good person. <laughs> <laughs> well, not always. You're, yeah, but now you're a good person. You, didn't, you, didn't, right. you chose the wrong people. I wouldn't want, yeah. And that's the thing. I wanted to make it difficult because I'm like, it we love all of those women. But wasn't like, that hard. No, sorry. Okay, fine. She wants to be good friends. We'll, kill, yeah. we'll take out the kill and yeah. we'll make, you and Rosie can be good friends. Yeah, too. that would be cool. Rosie, okay. call me. All right. That's awesome. You're hilarious. Read my book, Rosie. All we uh, couldn't say. Listen, I think she most definitely should read this book. I tried. Um, and I think everybody should. Where can people find this book? You can find it online everywhere now, and you can find okay. it in the stores as well. So you can, in Canada, it's already in- available okay. everywhere. Indigo, Chapters, Amazon, at local small stores, okay. you know, Glad Day, Another Story. And then in the States, it's available as of June 25th. And in the UK, I'm not sure what other countries are selling it yet, but awesome. um, soon, yeah, in the, uh, June 25th. So... Thank That's you so fantastic. much. That's fantastic. Listen, when it turns into a movie, know this. I'm the first person to buy a ticket. Well, I'll, I'm the I'll first give person to watch ticket. it on Netflix. Wherever it ends I'll up, invite you. I'll be the first person there because this story needs to be told to everybody. It's fantastic. Thank you again, Joanne. Thank you so much. Really glad. Because I like a good Italian yeah. last name. Happy to meet you. Uh, no, happy to meet you. This has been an honor. Um, just a friendly reminder to the listeners, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Play Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Spotify. You can also buy my lovely book. I feel really weird t- pitching my book now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you can buy my book, Single Girl Problems, on Amazon. Yeah, but you guys already know that. Uh, Send us your relationship questions or comments to singlegirlproblemspodcast at gmail.com. That is all the show we have. Until next time. Bye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. 
Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 